little baseball right now. We're going to uh, switch gears. And as we said, Don, uh, uh, a man who's uh, been part of the Pittsburgh Pirates organization in the past, uh, Mike Lowenstein, uh, joining us right now on the telephone, wrote a book called The 19th Year, A Sweet Summer with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And, uh, Mike, is that you on the line? Well, it is. Hold on. There we go, Mike. Sorry, we had a little mix-up there with the phone. Glad you're with us. Uh, Doug Miles, Don Henderson, and the G-Man with you tonight. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? We're doing well. Yeah, I had a chance to uh, to read through the book, and uh, we can kind of commiserate with you, uh, Mike. Uh, Don and I, uh, down here in Sarasota, Brandon, we've had a chance to uh, to see the Pirates over the last several years in spring training, and, uh, and I guess we feel for you a little bit. <laughs> Well, we, we appreciate it. Um, you have to do the whole 20 years to, to really be in the club, but you can be an honorary member. Well, Mike, I'll tell you, and I was talking to Doug about this, and, and I worked for the Phillies for so many years, and what a great rivalry it was down through the years and, and between the Pirates and the Phillies. And uh, when the team broke up and Bonds left and so forth, this one we'll talk about, you've probably got a lot of that in your book, but uh, it's really discouraging. I, I commend the people of Pittsburgh who have supported this baseball team without having a winning season and, and, and really being relevant uh, in such a long time. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Uh, fortunately, um, on this issue, I'm old enough to remember when the Pirates were good, and, and I do vividly remember the rivalry with the Phillies in the 70s and early 80s and, and um, when we were in the same division. Unfortunately, our kids, um, you know, have never really experienced that except when they were very, very small. So you kind of tie it all in, uh, Mike, uh, going back to the, the the 60 team and they would play the Yankees in the World Series and then, of course, the uh, the great teams of the early 70s with uh, Roberto Clemente and, uh, and those great pitching staff you had, and the, the team that won it in 79, the We Are Family years, uh, Willie Starks and all that, but uh, had some lean years uh, through the 80s, and then uh, again, they've kind of built up again in the early 90s, uh, a guy that uh, is doing very well now with the Tigers, Jim Leland, was your manager then, so it has a great history of the team, going back to Ralph Kiner years, although they didn't win a lot with Ralph, but they had some good players, but uh, it's been an up-and-down franchise, hasn't it? Yeah, it sure has. Um, I was fortunate when I was a kid uh, was when they were up, and and for me and a lot of the book is a, about this is the 1971 team. I was 14 years old, and and you know Roberto Clemente was still at his peak, and Willie Stargell was at his peak, and that was really the team of teams for me, and and um, really throughout the 70s, but especially that team. Well, the great thing about that team, uh, other than the, the power hitting, was the fact that they were an outstanding defensive team. I mean, for those folks that are listening, uh, they never had the opportunity to see Roberto Clemente play or Billy Verdon play or uh, any of those uh, uh, great stars that played for the Pittsburgh Pirates over the years. But not only offensive players, but very, very solid defensive players. Yeah, that, that's right. And Bill Mazeroski, who's in the Hall of Fame for defense. So, yeah, we, you know, that, that was part of it. Yeah, people see, they talk about Bill Mazeroski, but the uh, <laughs> the really talking point of that of that World Series was the number of runs the Yankees scored and the number of runs the Pirates scored and who won the series. <laughs> yeah, the Yankees. The Yankees, I think, had they won Game sixteen to three, twelve to nothing, and ten to nothing, and somehow lost the series. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it was. It was unbelievable, and. Uh, and, and also the fact that Yogi Berra was playing left field when Mazeroski hit that ball. I mean, not many people remember that Yogi started off yeah, right. as an outfielder, and uh, he had he was in left field that night, that day. 
Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of this in Pittsburgh, um, and I just went to, to watch this uh, again a uh, month or so ago. Every uh, October 13th, uh, they gather. There's a little piece of Forbes Field uh, by the left field wall that's, that's still left there, and uh, a couple hundred people gather, and they play the radio broadcast, and it always ends at 3.36 p.m., the exact minute when Mazeroski hits the home run, and, and um, it's a great day, and we, and we always win. <laughs> I did not know that they did that. I, I did. Uh, I did know that Forest Field was in the middle of Shenley Park, which I, I don't think too many people remember that. But it was. Uh, I'll tell you, it was. A, it was a fun ballpark to go watch games in. It, it sure was. I used to walk to Forbes Field as a kid. I lived pretty close, and and uh, you know everything's sweeter with age, I guess. But there was nothing like going to Forbes Field. We had a radio broadcast. Uh, I know you talk about it in the book uh, about Bob Prince, the uh, the radio announcer, for many years. Did, did he actually call that game on radio, or was he doing the TV? I think that Bob Prince was on the TV, but I think he had left the uh, booth and was going to uh, the locker room. Uh, and I don't think he actually knew about the home run until after after it was hit because he was out of out of circulation. And the story was that he passed right by Mazeroski, not knowing that he had hit the home run when he was doing his interviews. Although he eventually got him back. <laughs> one of the most colorful. Yeah, one of the most colorful. I was just going to say the same thing. Doug, one of the most colorful uh, broadcasters in the history of the game, and he's one of the one of the guys that had his own style, as Harry Carey did, but. Bob Prince was a prince of broadcasters for quite some time. Yeah, he was. And, and in my generation, really a whole generation of, of baseball fans spent their you know summer nights listening to Bob Prince in a way that I don't think we, we do it since. And um, I know, what was it, Harry Callis in Philadelphia, I'm sure it was the same way. Oh, absolutely. No question about that. And as I said, there were, you could listen to you know, Harry Carey in the early days uh, in St. Louis, and then, of course, with the White Sox, and they were on 50,000-watt stations, as Harry Callis was as well. And uh, so you, you had the chance at night to hear them in 38 states and Canada. You could hear it all around, which, of course, now doesn't mean anything because you can get everything streamed or, or whatever. But in those days, uh, if you were outside the city of Philadelphia or outside Chicago or outside Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, I think, was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the first, uh, 50,000 watt station to uh, yeah. uh, to go on the air and, and uh, they broadcast the Pirates for so many years. Right, first first baseball broadcast ever I think was in 1921, right. and the broadcaster was a guy named Harold Arlen, whose grandson was Steve Arlen, who was a pitcher for the Padres and pitched against the Pirates in a game I went to actually in 1971. Ooh. KDKA was a great station. No, well, it is actually. It was. It's still a it's still a great station. But uh, but they they gave up baseball for a bit. Did they bring it back? Now I didn't know the KDKA is doing it or whether it's still spread. I think it's on the KDKA FM station now, but it isn't. You know, for probably for forty years of my life, it was always on KDKA AM forever. Right. And for for most, you know, the early years was Bob Prince. One of the rare uh, K stations uh, east of the Mississippi, because it was one of the first stations that hadn't really made that uh, division yet, where the west coast or west of the Mississippi would be K and the east coast would be uh, W. That was one of their early stations. I think it went on in 1920-something, didn't it? I, di I didn't know that. I always used to listen to KMOX, as you were saying. I would pull that in, you know, long distance with, with uh, Jack Buck, but now I know why it was K. 
Well, that's yeah. how that's how really Philadelphia that uh, we became uh, KYW because uh, they traded stations with Cleveland, and Cleveland was really? uh, I guess figured to be more Western, and and uh, so they had the call letters. But and and uh, when they traded the stations, NBC stations, why KMOX became uh, the all news station, the starter of all news and in all of broadcasting in Philadelphia. Hmm. Well, in my summer camp days, I, I, I used to go to camp with a guy named Wiffle Klein, who his family was WFIL, so, so, uh, and I think he's Wiffle to this day. <laughs> you talk about Bob Prince, and, uh, and, and he made no bones about it. He was a homer, and, and, and that works in some markets. I think Pittsburgh is a market. I know your football announcer for many years. Uh, Myron Cope was the same way doing the Steeler games. Uh, that works in Pittsburgh. It doesn't work in every market, but uh, Bob Prince made no bones about it. He was pulling for the Pirates. Yeah, he was, and, and that was, you know, around here that was a really good thing. So people loved him for it. Well, Rosie Rosewall was before you, right? He was. I've heard him. You know, there's an old record called The Impossible Pirates, and he's on it uh, at great length, and it was fascinating to hear him. But um, he was he was gone before I came along. And one of the fellows that I worked with for a number of years who uh, did the Phillies for a period of time until Harry Callis came in uh, was Bill Campbell, and he, uh, he moved out and did some Pittsburgh games uh, after he left the Phillies. I don't know okay. if you remember him or not. I do, I do. We had Jim. Jim Woods was our was Bob Price's right. partner for many many years, and then it was Nellie King, and um, you know, uh, I shouldn't say this, but for for people of my generation, it all went downhill from there. <laughs> is Nellie King still the uh, SID at uh, Duquesne, or is he passed there? I think he passed away a couple of years ago. He was at Duquesne for many, many years and just yeah, he a sweetheart of a guy. Oh, what a great guy. I worked with him for a lot of years, both baseball and basketball, and I did not know he passed away. Sorry to say that. Yeah. Talking with Mike Lowenstein, the name of the book is The 19th Year, A Sweet, a sweet Summer with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And uh, talk a little bit about how you kind of put this whole thing together. I know you, you saw, what, 40 games uh in that one year, yeah. uh, Michael, and then kind of recount uh, how the season went, right, month by month. Yeah, the way I did it, you know, in 1971, um, uh, right before I was going to go away to summer camp, I, I broke my arm, and so I was home the whole summer, and I went to about 40 Pirate games counting playoffs and World Series and really fell in love with that team. You know, it's it's hard to be a Pirate fan, as you said. Um, we've had so many losing years in a row, but a couple years ago, our office moved right down. In fact, I'm looking out over PNC Park as I, as I talk to you, and um, it really sort of restoked my interest in baseball. I always followed it, but I had, you know, sort of lost the passion for it. And I thought for the 40th anniversary of that 1971 team, I would try to go to 40 games again. I did, and this was 2011. The Pirates were actually surprisingly good and were very exciting for this town for most of the summer and then, and then you know, fell apart at the end and unfortunately did the same thing last year. I went to another 40 games or so, and, and it was a little bit of Groundhog Day, but uh, hopefully they're getting better, but it's, it's painful. It really is painful, and uh, but it's a very, very interesting franchise. And as Doug said at the opening of the show, uh, we're both in, in Sarasota during spring training, so I get a chance to see the Bucks a lot uh, over in Bradenton. Do you get down to, to uh, 
spent time in Florida during spring training? I did for the first time last year in honor of this book. My wife took me uh, on vacation uh, to see the Pirates play in Bradenton four days in a row, which which was great fun. It's you know it's such a beautiful little ballpark, and spring training is such a relaxing type of atmosphere. So that was terrific, and hopefully I'll get to do it again soon. Great. They're spending some money on the ballpark. Uh, I don't know if you know, Don, uh, they're, they're refurbishing it. They're supposed to have a, a media day coming up this week to, to show uh, show us what they did. Uh, they did it a few years ago where they uh, put all new seats, and now they're kind of re revamping it again and just adding some more seats. So uh, it, it should look nice. McKechnie Field we're talking about. Yeah, they also yeah. put the lights up for their minor league day. They never had lights there, so they couldn't right. use uh, couldn't use the ballpark for minor league baseball. And uh, one of the things, Mike, that – uh, Sarasota, where we are, and, and of course that's a <clears throat> right now uh, the, uh, the home of the Baltimore Orioles. It had been Cincinnati for a long period of time, but it's now Baltimore. And uh, the one thing that the, the two cities are so close together, um, I think it's been tough for uh, Sarasota to, to uh, reestablish a minor league franchise at the A level because they're too close to Bradenton. I don't know if they're going to work out a deal now where they'd be part of that Florida State League or not, but uh, two great ballparks, Ed Smith, of course, over in Sarasota, and your ballpark uh, over in Bradenton. Yeah, well, I hope they work it out because there's, you know, there's a rich tradition in both towns for minor league and, and spring training. Right. What do you make of uh, Clint Hurdle, uh, Mike? Uh, King got off to some good starts uh, his first two years, but then they fade. Uh, he had some success out in Colorado take that team to the World Series at one time. Uh, good manager, but uh, what do the fans up there think of Clint? I think, you know, Clint's held in pretty high regard here. I mean, um, when he got here, they had they had won, you know, 57 games um, the, the previous year and lost 105, and, and the franchise really looked hopeless. And, and really, right out of the gate, he brought a lot of um, leadership and enthusiasm and positive attitude. Um, you know, yes, it's been two years in a row where they faded. I think most people felt that the first year they were really – kind of playing over their heads and d doing it with mirrors. And so I don't think anybody had any criticism of, of Clint Hurdle for that. I think they give him credit again for the excellent start this past year, whether, you know, I think probably a lot of things contributed to the decline in the second half, although I will tell you I didn't see it coming. I, the year before I probably did, but last year I was very surprised that it fell apart the same way. You certainly have one of the real stars of baseball, and <clears throat> he started off in spring training this year and really uh, just kept going and then into the regular season. And, you know, he had a shot to challenge for the MVP. He cooled off a little bit in the end of the year, but uh, he, he really played great baseball for you. Yeah, Andrew McCutcheon, you know, he's just such a treat to watch because he's he's really a great athlete and he carries himself, you know, in a way you'd like a young star to, to carry himself and and um he's just a just a great player to watch and and you know, they're hoping they have him signed for many many years now, which is unusual for the Pirates and they're hoping to build a team around him. Mike, let me ask you this because your law firm was part owner of the of the pre the previous owners, it was a part of it. Uh, what about the new owner? Is he dedicated to spending money to uh, really changing the atmosphere in Pittsburgh and with the Pittsburgh Pirates? I think so. And, and you know, he was part of the group before. I think he's gradually taken a more, um, you know, sort of front, front seat role. Um, I think he is committed to it. Um, 
You know, the the problem with the Pirates, I think I think he's very passionate about it. I know there's, you know, a lot of people in Pittsburgh who are critical of him and you know, it's it's understandable with 20 losing seasons in a row even though he wasn't around for a lot of them. Um, but you know, the, the hard thing in Pittsburgh is you really have to be excellent. Um, uh, your margin of error is is pretty small if you don't, you know, you can't sort of correct your mistakes by going out and, you know, getting big name free agents you have to draft well you have to develop well you have to evaluate well uh you have to you know be lucky and healthy with injuries and and um i think they've done better i mean these last two years even with the collapses at the end have been better and um you know but it would do this town a world of good to have a winning season i mean 82 and 80 would mean more than you could understand out here Well, this is one of the great ballparks. I haven't been there in person, but just looking at it on TV, uh, Mike. Uh, but obviously, you know, you can't uh, look what happened out of Miami. Uh, a good ballpark or a new ballpark doesn't guarantee uh, fans are going to come if you don't win. Yeah, and I think we draw pretty well. I mean, last year they drew over 2 million people. And, you know, Pittsburgh's not the biggest metropolitan area. Um, you know, it's, it's the TV market is smaller. If you ever get a chance, I really, you know, encourage you to come out and check out. The ballpark is just stunning. If you're sitting on the third base side and you're looking out over the river right against the skyline on a beautiful summer night, um, there's really, you know, I, I would put it up against any, any other park out there. I would agree. I've been there many times at both the football facility and the, and the baseball facility, and uh, you're exactly right. The, the only difficulty is getting across the bridge trying to get out. <laughs> other, yeah. other, other than that, it's beautiful. Well, if you come, you can you can come, you know, stay at our law firm here. I'm looking, you know, on, on game days in Pittsburgh in baseball, uh, I'm looking out over the bridge. It's called the Roberto Clemente Bridge, as it, as it should be here in Pittsburgh. And um, they close it to car traffic, which might be part of your problem. But... Um, it's really nice on a on a beautiful summer night, and you'll see thousands of people streaming over the bridge to the ballpark after work, and thousands coming back into town. It really does a lot for downtown Pittsburgh in the summer, and and you know makes it just a nice place to live. Name of the book is the nineteenth year a sweet summer with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Our guest is Michael uh, Lowenstein, and uh, Mike, uh, get on a website and get a hold of the book or get a hold of you if they like. Um, well, uh, there is a website for the book, uh, com, but it's also available on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble and sort of normal outlets. And uh, if you just Google it, you'll find it. And uh, you'll find me. I'm, you know, just a regular working lawyer at a law firm. And, uh, you know, <laughs> feel free to contact me any anytime. Well, let us know uh, if you come down for spring training, Mike. Uh, have you on the show again maybe meet you at a ball game. That would be terrific. Well, you can give us a little insight on on Mossy Murphy too, because you got. You shoot rah rah. I remember Mossy quite well. A, I, a I'm an old Duquesne basketball fan from the 1960s. Well, you well you're a little little after my wife, but she graduated from Duquesne as well. But she was she was there uh, when when the. Uh, Teams were a little bit better, you know, in 1951, 52, uh, in that era when they had some great okay. players in. Sure, Cy Hugo Green and the Ricketts right. brothers, sure. I mean, yeah. Yep, and, of course, one, of course, played for the Cardinals for numbers of years, and uh, but all three were. Cy Hugo was, was the leader in the backcourt and just a great player. 
I think both Ricketts brothers played for the Cardinals. Uh, one pitch and one cut. Dick Ricketts Ricketts pitched and Dave Ricketts cut. Oh, I didn't remember that both did. I knew the the catcher, but I didn't know that that one pitched. Yep. And the pitcher was the better basketball player. Yeah. It's a great, uh, it's a great basket. I mean, a great sports. I don't want to say basketball. It's a great sports town. And uh, for those folks that have, you know, followed the Steelers and the Pirates, and of course Duquesne and, and Pitt and so forth. Uh, uh, and the Penguins. Don't forget the Penguins. Down. Oh yeah, the well, Penguins. Stanley Cups. Three yep. Stanley Cups. I was a little disappointed in the crowd they had on Saturday, though. I thought the, I thought the, the uh, Pittsburgh would do a little bit better crowd-wise because. Uh, uh, they they played fairly well during the course of the season, and, and they had a big win on Saturday. It was uh, you know they beat Rutgers, and I uh, thought they had yep. a few more people yeah, there, there than they did. Were you there? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, I thought they'd have a few more a few more people than they did. Yeah, it's been a it's been a problem. It was a cold day. I'll give give them that. But in a you know the students are away on break. But right. we'd like to have more people too. I'm I'm a huge uh, Pitt fan from you know in football back to 1964. Oh, you're you're way back. Way back. <laughs> well, you I said appreciate you taking uh, some time tonight to to be with us. Uh, I know it's a late night for you at work, but uh, we wanted to have you on when we got the word. Uh, you had the book out, not only with the local tie-in, but uh, we have people around the country that listen to us. So a lot of pirate fans, I'm sure, out there that will be interested in it. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Good thanks show, guys. We'll see you again next time. I'm Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America.